Mark chapter number 10 this morning. I'd like for you to look with me in verse number 46. Verse number 46, the book of Mark, chapter number 10. Very familiar passage of Scripture. I hope the Lord will do a work in our hearts this morning from it. The Bible says, And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, of course, speaking of the Lord, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege and honor it is to stand in your pulpit. I thank you for each and every person that's gathered here this morning to hear your word. Lord, I confess readily that I do not know the heart's condition of a single person in this room save my own. But Lord, I would pray that you, knowing the need, would speak to each heart that which is needful. Lord, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone without Christ, I pray you convict them of their lost state. Open their blinded eyes. Show them their need of Calvary, Lord. I pray, Father, that if there's one here that's discouraged, you'd uplift them. Lord, one that's haughty, they'd be abased. But whatever the need is, God, we're trusting you to accomplish it. Lord, we pray for the needs of the people that are here. I'm sure if we were to take prayer requests, Lord, we'd have many hurting and, 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 and hopeless hearts here today, burdened down with various situations. But God of heaven, we just ask that you'd meet each of those needs in accordance with your will. Now, Lord, I need your help this morning. I do not have within me to preach. But, Lord, I know that through the power of the Holy Ghost, your word can become as fire in the hearts of hearers as chaff. And I pray, Lord, that you'd do that work that we covet your presence for. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's probably not a much more familiar passage in the book of Mark or in the Synoptic Gospels than that of the conversion of blind Bartimaeus. We've heard about it most of our lives. And I'm probably not going to tell you anything you've not heard this morning. But I'm struck as I read this passage of the beauty of what takes place in these few verses. You see, I see in blind Bartimaeus the condition of every single person born into this world. I see the condition of the lost sinner. Now you say, preacher, I'm not lost, I'm religious. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're saved. You see, there's lots of people that are religious but are not saved. There's lots of people that go to church houses but do not know the Lord. There's lots of people that have their name on church rolls. They may have been baptized. They may have had good godly parents, but God has no grandchildren. You're either saved or you're not saved. You've either met Christ or you haven't met Christ. You've either been born again or you've not been born again. I hope that's clear this morning. I know that we've just had uh, the new pope. I don't say my pope because he's not my pope because I don't have a pope. I have a heavenly father. 
But the Pope came out and said that any that do good works are regenerated and born again this past week. The doctrine of universalism is the doctrine of devils and straight out of hell. The Bible says that the law was given that every mouth would be stopped and all the world should become guilty before God. God uh, put a lot of effort into convincing sinners of their need of a Savior. And by the way, the natural human heart won't come to that understanding. The Bible says we've been blinded, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But you're not going to come to know your need of the Savior on your own. It's showed to you by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Word of God makes it clear to us our need of a Savior. But human philosophy does not make that need known. Scientific endeavors do not make that need known. You say, are you against science, preacher? No, I'm not against science. I'm against science falsely so-called. I believe science is a good thing. You know, there was a time when the greatest and most brilliant minds, uh, and by the way, a lot more brilliant than anything we've got walking and bobbling around today, were men that believed in a Creator God and believed that science was the means of coming to a greater knowledge of His creative work. No, I'm not against science, but science can't satisfy the heart's need. You say, are you against philosophy? Well, I'm not against thinking people. I'll put it that way. I think we've got too many people that don't think today. I think we got too many people. They say, well, they've got a head knowledge. People like that don't have a head. They just got a pimple. They ain't even come to a head yet. Amen. Head knowledge won't get you anywhere. And there's a lot of people going to go to hell and miss heaven by 18 inches because they have an academic knowledge of the Savior, but they've never given their heart to him. No, I'm not against thinking people, but philosophy cannot satisfy the heart's need. The fleshly lust cannot satisfy the heart's need. You say, but it feels good to do wrong, preacher. Yeah, the Bible says that. That sin is pleasurable for a season, but just a season. It can't satisfy you. But Christ said, if you'll drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. You see, only Christ can satisfy the heart's need. But the problem today is not that people are unaware of the answer, is that people are unaware of the question. We live in a world where most men don't think they need a Savior. They know where to find one if they needed one. Do you hear me this morning? Most people are familiar enough with gospel truth that they know where to find a Savior if they need one. They just don't think they need one. And that's why they won't come to the Savior. We find a picture in blind Bartimaeus of the lost man, but we find a picture of the loving Savior. And I'm thankful there is a Savior this morning. Boy, where would we be without Christ Jesus? Where would we be without the loving hand of God? And the love of God commendeth toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Where would we be without that this morning? I'll tell you where we ought to be. We ought to be in hell this morning. You say, preacher, you're preaching at me that way. No, I'm preaching at me that way. Amen. This preacher ought to be in hell this morning if it wasn't for the grace of God. And in blind Bartimaeus, we see this picture. I want you to notice three things this morning. Notice first with me the condition of this blind man. You say, well, preacher, he was blind. Yeah, that's true, but we find several things about his condition that I'd like for you to notice. First off, consider his name, Bartimaeus. Now, we find out when we read just a few words later that his name literally meant the son of Timaeus. And so that name Bar, that phrase Bar is used as a descriptive terminology. Really, we might say he was the blind son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. He was identified with his parents. And nobody really spoke of what is, we, I guess we could say a Christian name. I don't know if that'd be proper, but uh, we don't really know what his name would have been. It may have been that his uh, proper name was Bartimaeus, but most likely his father had been a prominent person and they knew him as the son of Timaeus. 
And they'd talk about this young man and they'd say, oh, that's that old blind boy, the son of Timaeus. I'd like to say first off to you that he was born in a sinful condition. You say, preacher, are you saying that blind people are sinful? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. You say, preacher, are you saying that physical malady is the result of a hidden sin in our lives? Not always. There's probably some situations where it is, but certainly not all the time. But I'm saying it pictures for us the sinner that is born a sinner, and every sinner is born a sinner. If you used to study the name of his daddy, names had meaning back then. Today we name our children whatever. Amen. We just name them a name. It sounds pretty. We like that. It doesn't matter what it means. We just name them that. But back then names had a significance to them. And the name Timaeus means foul in a religious sense. So in other words, he was born into a polluted family. Can I tell you this morning that every single man, woman, every single boy and girl, every single person that draws a breath is born into a polluted family this morning. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, and that all have sin. The psalmist said, I was shapen in iniquity. The truth of the matter is, you don't have to do anything to become a sinner. You are a sinner when you become someone. When you're born into this world, you're born into a polluted and lost family. You say, well, why should I be a sinner? My daddy, Adam, may have sinned, but I didn't sin. But the Bible addresses that. You see, you take upon you the nature of your father. Uh, There's a lot of things we get uh, from our parents. And uh, and it's not just money either, amen? <laughs> I know some of you parents feel like that sometimes. All I ever give them is money. Some of you got a welfare program in the walls of your own house. I was telling a young person the other day when I was growing up, I, I, grew, up, uh, I grew up poor even though I wasn't poor. My parents always told me I was poor and I, I didn't know I wasn't poor. Uh, grew up on, on a big old beautiful farmhouse out there on, I don't know, 15 acres or 13 or something. And, you know, had everything we needed and God blessed us richly. But growing up, I always thought I was poor. We got a Waggles about three miles from the house and I'd look at Dad and I'd say, Dad, I want to go down and get an icy. How many of y'all have heard that before? Dad, I want to go down and get an icy. He'd say, oh, son, we ain't got the gas to do that. <laughs> That's what he'd really say to Three miles, he'd say, oh, we ain't got the gas to do that. I think what he meant is I ain't got the gas to do that. <laughs> I think what he meant is I ain't got the motivation to do that. We was raised on goodwill clothes. We was raised on secondhand stuff. Mama would buy us clothes. They wouldn't fit and she had a way. Mama tended to think that name brand clothes should always fit. And she'd buy, buy a pair of pants or buy a shirt. And I'd say, Mama, it's two sizes too large. She'd say, oh, but it's Ralph Lauren. <laughs> well, take it back to him and see if he can hem it or something. It's too big. It's not going to work. But we was raised that way. But it's not just money we get from our parents. I, what I was going to say, I, you know, I'd see on the TV, we'd watch TV, and, you know, they'd have like, and this is past most of y'all's time, I know that, but they'd have that Nickelodeon channel, and uh, and they'd show kids on that Nickelodeon, and they'd go to their parents, and they'd say, I'm going to the mall, can I have $20? I got whipped for saying that, amen? <laughs> but I, I was raised to believe I was poor, but let me say this, I rise up and call them blessed, because now I know how to hang on to a little bit of money, amen? But the fact of the matter is, we took on more than that from our parents. We take on a lot of things from them. We get our dispositions. We get our, our looks. Amen. Some of us, that's good, and some of us, it's bad. It's, but we get things from our parents. Do you know that spiritually the truth is exactly the same? You see, you're born, and the Bible calls a lost person a child of the devil. 
But every one of us is a descendant of Adam and Eve. You say, I don't believe that. That's foolish. Well, take it up with God. That's what he told us, isn't it? And you took upon you the nature of your father. You say, why did Christ have to be born of a virgin? So that he wouldn't take upon him the nature of an earthly father. He took upon him the heavenly nature of his heavenly father, sinless and perfect. But you and I, we take upon ourselves the nature of our father. The Bible says even those that have not sinned after the same similitude of Adam. You know what that means? That means that probably none of us ate of a forbidden piece of fruit and fell into sin. But because Adam is our earthly father, we bear that sin nature. It's within us. You say, how can I fix that? You can get born again with the right nature inside of you. That's what the Bible teaches. You must be born again. Why? Because you don't know God until you've been born again. All you know is of your earthly father and of your uh, spiritual father, the devil, before you've ever been born again. He was born in a polluted family. He was born in a cursed place. You know that? Most of us are familiar with Jericho, but not in this context. We're familiar in the book of Joshua with uh, the city of Jericho, how that the, uh, the army of Israel traversed around the city of Jericho and they blew the trumpets and the walls came tumbling down. And we're familiar with the sin of Achan when he stole from that place and hid it in his tent. But you'll read in the book of Joshua that God placed a curse upon the city of Jericho. And he said that any man that builds this city is going to be cursed. Any man that produces anything in this city is going to be cursed. Jericho was a cursed place. Bartimaeus was from a cursed place. He lived in a cursed place. That thing's just going to keep cackling at me. You just bear with me. He was born in a cursed place. Can I say not only are you born sinful, but you're born in a cursed place too. You know this world is a cursed place. The Bible teaches that because of the sin of Adam and Eve, that the ground was cursed and it brings forth uh, thorns and bristles and briars. You know, this day, every time you smack a mosquito, you're reminded. (laughs) You're reminded. Every time you uh, prick your finger on a thorn, you're reminded of what sin does. It's a cursed place. He was born sinful, but let me say he was born blind as well. He's called Blind Bartimaeus. And you say, well, what's wrong with being blind? Well, physically, there's nothing sinful about it, but it's indicative. It's indicative of the state of every sinner. I'll tell you why sinners don't know they need a Savior, because they're blinded from it. We live in a world where people just think they don't need God. But let me say, that doesn't change the fact and the truth of the matter that you do need God. Blind Bartimaeus, he had never seen a beautiful sunset. He had never seen the Jordan River Valley. He had never seen the beautiful leaves and the beautiful uh, things of nature around him. They were there. They were there, but he had never seen them. By the same token, he couldn't see the dangers that were present around him. I'm told of an old man that went uh, went out uh, coon hunting with a bunch of his uh, young uh, friends that he had. Young, you know, his son, grandson, he had them with him. And they were up on a ridge top. And the dogs had gone running down through the holler, and so he sent the young men after him, and they took the lantern with him. And he said, well, I'll just wait here until you get back. And as he was waiting there, a storm began to rise up over the ridge, and it began to thunder, and it began to pour. And on that ridge, he said, if I can just get down the hill a little bit and get back under the cleft of a rock, I'll be okay. And so he began in the darkness to feel his way down. And finally it dawned on him and he stopped and he said, you know, I'm liable to fall off of this hill if I just keep going and keep going. So he stopped and he waited there in the rain and he just stood there. Shortly after a while, the kids came back and they had the dogs, they had the lanterns. And they brought and they gave him the lantern and he looked and he was about two or three steps away from falling off of a rocky cliffside. 
being dashed to pieces. He wasn't, the fact that he couldn't see it didn't mean that he wasn't in danger. You see what I'm saying? He was in danger the whole time, but he was blind to it. If he had kept walking, he would have walked off the cliff. He could have ignored it. He would have walked off the cliff. He could have pretended it wasn't so, and he would have walked off the cliff. He could have believed that nothing bad would happen to him because he's a good person. But he would have walked off the cliff. Just because he was blind to it doesn't mean he was in any less danger. The Bible says of the lost sinner that the God of this world has blinded them from the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're filled with a world that needs a Savior more than anything else and sees the need of a Savior less than anything else. I'll tell you why you don't come to Christ this morning. If you're here, if you're lost, and I don't know the heart's condition of a single person in this room but my own, but if you're here and you're lost today, I'll tell you why you don't come to Christ, because you don't think you need to come to Christ. That's why. I said it earlier. Most people know where to find a Savior if they need one. They just don't know they need one yet. You don't realize how close to hell you are. You don't realize you're just a heartbeat away, just a missed breath away. You don't realize you're just a mishap away. You don't realize the danger that's in front of you. And you say, what is the purpose of the Word of God to shine light upon the danger for the lost sinner? That he at any moment, at any moment could leave this world, enter eternity, and be there eternally. The fact of the matter is he was blind. We pray all the time for the Lord to convict people, and I believe that's good. I believe we ought to pray for the Lord to open sinners' eyes to the need. You don't know that need because you've not ever heard of that need. Or if you've heard of that need, you've rejected that hearing. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible teaches us that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost makes us aware of that need. And if you're here today, if you're here today and you say, Well, preacher, I guess you know you could be right. I guess I don't really know. I guess I'm not really aware if I've ever been saved or not. Don't, don't, don't take for granted for one moment the wooing power of the Holy Ghost of God. God loves you. That's why He does that. We see that He was born sinful. We see that He was born blind. But we see that He was born bankrupt. Now, you say, well, maybe He wasn't born bankrupt. He was bankrupt just the same. He was bankrupt just the same. The Bible says He sat by the highway side begging, begging. He really didn't have anything. Let me say that the sinner in this world today believes they have everything when in actuality they have nothing. They have nothing. He said, preacher, I, I've got a nice car. I've got, I've got the home that I want. I've got, yeah. How long are you going to have that for? How long are you going to have that for? If only we'd understand the magnitude of eternity, we'd understand the minuscule nature of temporal goods. I'm not one of these. I, I'm not one of these that believes you ought to sell everything off and go up into a monastery somewhere, take a vow of silence. The vow of silence thing may be okay with some people, but but I, I, I'm not. I'm not advocating that. What I'm merely saying is this: If you're here today without Christ, it doesn't matter what you've got. You've got nothing. You've got nothing. You're bankrupt. You don't have a thing that's going to matter in eternity. That house is going to burn up. The vehicle's going to burn up. The money's going to burn up. And you know all they are. They're nothing but false securities to make us feel like we're okay. We're told of a man, the Bible teaches us that God had blessed with a great harvest. And he had barns and he filled up those barns with all the harvest. He had more than even fit in those barns. And so he began to build more barns for the more of his worldly goods. And he began to build more barns and more barns. And finally this fellow had a whole farm full of barns stacked full of his earthly goods. You know what he said? He said, now my soul can be at ease. Now my soul can be at rest. 
You know what God said to him? He said, thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. God's not interested in your barns or your harvests. He's interested in your soul. You may have everything in the world you think you need, but if you don't have Christ, you don't have a thing worth having. Not a thing worth having. Let me give you another thought. He was born sinful. He was blind. He was bankrupt. Let me explain this, but let me say that he was blessed. You say, what do you mean he was blessed? What do you mean he was blessed? Let me say that every single sinner in this world to a degree is blessed because they have the offer of Christ's free salvation. It's been said before that man's extremity is God's opportunity. Let me tell you why it was that Bartimaeus got saved that day. If he hadn't been a beggar, he wouldn't have been sitting there where the Savior passed by. <laughs> Bear with me now. I'm on a, I, I know some of you don't see it yet, but you will. Give me just a second. Sometimes I'm a little slow on the uptake with my words, so you just got to bear with me, okay? What I'm saying is if it hadn't been for his broken condition, he couldn't have gained the attention of the Savior. You say, preacher, I, I could never get saved. I'm not fit to be a Christian. That's the reason you can get saved. <laughs> He'll say, Preacher, you don't understand. I'm a bad person. Thank God you are. Because that's the kind that God's interested in. I know they don't fly well in the formal churches. I know in the uppity-ups they don't like them. But let me tell you something. God's interested in you today. God's interested in you today. The whole reason Bartimaeus was there was because he was a beggar. The reason he was there is because he was broken. And the reason that God takes an interest in you is because you need Him. That's the love of God. That's the love of the Savior. He said, They that are whole need not a physician. I came not into the world to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. A lot of people in this world, the whole thing keeping them on the road to hell is their self-righteousness. They think God's interested in them because they are righteous. But God's not interested in them because they are righteous. God is interested in the sinner. God is interested in the broken life and the broken heart. God is interested in the broken and beaten body. God's interested in the lost and the hopeless and helpless. That's who God's interested in today. And you may be here today and you may say, Preacher, I'll never get saved because I'm not the church going type. You let Him save you and He'll make you that. You let Him wash you in His blood. He'll make you what you need to be. You say, God could never save me. I'm too damaged. Hey, listen, neighbor, he, you're the one he's looking for. You're the one he came to save. I'll tell you who he can't save today is those that are so self-righteous that they don't think they need God. You're here today and you're broken and damaged and used and abused. You're who God's looking for this morning because you're probably more aware of your need than the self-righteous. We see the condition of Bartimaeus. But I want you to notice the cry of Bartimaeus. The Bible tells us that Jesus was passing by. Oh, I'm thankful that that physician still makes house calls, aren't you? <laughs> I'm thankful. I'm thankful he still meets the needs of broken hearts and broken homes. The Bible says he was passing by with his disciples in a great multitude. And you know, nobody ever talks about this person. But let me say, thank God for the person that told Bartimaeus. The Bible says when he heard, he didn't see because the lost man can't see. You hear me? Let me just give you something real simple here, okay? When you get saved and you put your faith in an almighty God, you can see him working. But before you get saved, you can't see God working. 
There, there's too much clutter. You say, what do you mean? Well, you see, you see, uh, God bless you in your life. And you say, well, that was good luck. I wasn't luck, neighbor. That was the hand of God. I hear it all the time. You watch the news. Any of you watch the news? Probably why you're depressed this morning. Amen. <laughs> you watch the news and you'll see it most of the time. Something will happen. And I mean, something, something just ludicrous, you know? I mean, they'll be they'll be interviewing this old boy, and he'll be standing in front of his house, and you'll see a car nose in inside of his roof. Somebody run off the road, run into his house, missed him by three inches, and they'll say, "Well, boy, how do you feel about?" It? And he'll say, "Boy, I was lucky." Neighbor, that's not luck. That's not luck. Okay, I, I don't believe in luck this morning, but if I did believe in luck, I'll tell you what luck is. Luck is finding a good parking space, okay? I don't believe in it, but I'm just saying if I, if I was going to, I would consider that luck. You know what I mean? I mean, a tornado blow through your town and you'd crawl in your bathtub and it keeps you from dying. That's not luck. That's the hand of God. You go down the road, pile that car up, wrap it around a telephone pole. And you walk away from it. Neighbor, that's not luck. I don't believe in luck. I'm not saying that anything's luck. But if I did believe in luck, I still wouldn't believe that was luck. That's the divine hand of an almighty God. But you can't see that when you're lost. Everybody around you tells you, well, that's fortunate. That's luck. You can't see that. You can only hear of it. Bartimaeus could not see the Savior coming. But there was someone that could tell him, Jesus is passing by. There's a Savior interested in you. There's a Savior coming this way. Let me say that first off, he was perceptive. He listened. He heard. He responded to what was told him. I'm struck by the fact that Jesus was coming out of Jericho. I know you say, well, the book of Luke says he was coming into Jericho. And we could argue about it all day long. Actually, what it says is he was near to Jericho. But he was coming out of Jericho. And you know what they told him? They said, the Savior is coming out of Jericho. He said, that don't mean anything to me. Let me put it this way. Jericho is a cursed place. The Savior had gone into, traveled through, come out of the other side of a cursed place. And he was there and ready to save. You know what the Bible says in Galatians chapter number 3? Galatians chapter number 3 tells us that Christ, Christ became the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. I'll tell you why you can be saved this morning. I'll tell you why your kids can be saved this morning. I'll tell you why your friends and family can be saved this morning. Because we have a Savior that went through a cursed place, came out the other side for you and me. The Bible says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ bore the curse, bore the sin, bore the pain, bore the burden for you and me. No man has ever done it before. No man will ever do it again. You say, you mean nobody's ever been raised from the dead before? Nobody's ever raised themselves from the dead before. The Bible says that He was raised up. By the Father. You say, who's the Father? Well, they're a Godhead, aren't they? They're a Trinity. They're a Trinity. He said, I lay down my life. I'll take it up again. Nobody's ever done that before. You say, oh, well, I heard this preacher on the TV and he is selling pieces of his suit and cooking oil to people. And he said, that's straight out of hell. I was watching, you know, sometime I, I don't have cable. But I was watching, I was watching that, uh, that, that 
place out of Jellico. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't have cable, you know what I'm that tel- that television station out of Jellico. They have this fellow on there. You bear. I know this is a rabbit trail, but I'm gonna catch him. It's rabbit season, okay? I'm gonna catch him. Named Woody Martin. You ever seen him on there? Heaven help the man that gets on there and tries to sell what he calls blood of Jesus anointing oil. God help us that a charlatan like that would have people. And you know, you know what you find? You find that the people that come to him, and I don't mean this ugly. I really don't. I don't mean it in an ugly way. It's, a, it's an indictment against him. You can tell the people that typically come to him are, are ignorant people. Isn't that right? Am I, am I okay this morning? Isn't that right? You, you know why? Because he can take those people in, take their money. You notice he's dressed awful nice. <laughs> Down there in Lenore City, Tennessee. God help us. Let me tell you something. He can't save you. And his quote-unquote blood of Jesus anointing oil can't open your eyes or raise you from the dead either. No man's ever raised himself from the dead except the Savior. He bore the sin, bore the curse, bore the pain, bore the burden. Laid down his life on a rugged cross. Went into an empty tomb. And in three days he emptied it again. That's why he can save you. That was the message that they got to Bartimaeus. Here's the Savior coming through a cursed place. But he's coming your way. Let me say that he was perceptive. But let me say he was persuaded. He cried out and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He confessed a few things when he says that. He used the earthly name of Jesus. He's confessing the power of his earthly ministry. He's confessing that this is the one that's opened blinded eyes. This is the one that called forth Lazarus' name. This is the one that the Bible is testified of. And let me tell you something. Until you get saved, you've got to put your faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary. What he did in his time on this earth. Let me say that he not only confessed about the power of the earthly ministry, but he confessed about the promise of his earthly ministry. And the promise of his soon coming again. Thou son of David. That's a messianic title. It it connects him with the promises of the Old Testament. That David would once again sit on the throne of Israel. And he will one day. He will. But you know what he was saying? Jesus, the one that is healed, the one that has opened blinded eyes and raised the dead, the one that has mended broken hearts, broken up every funeral you've ever been to, Jesus, the promised one that the Word of God told us about. You see, he was believing the biblical testimony of Jesus Christ. He was believing that he was the one that was promised. Let me tell you something, neighbor, as long as you're trying to rely on Jesus and to get you to heaven, you're never going to be saved. As long as you're trying to rely on the Savior and something, fill in the blank to get you saved, you're never going to be saved. As long, Let me give you an example. As long as you're relying on the Savior and your church membership, you're not saved. You hear me? Are we okay this morning? As long as you're relying on the Savior and your baptism, you don't know what Christ's salvation is. The Bible says, By grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't add anything to it. Or the Bible says, If it be of works, it is no more of grace. The Bible says, By grace is the only way you're going to be saved. We see that he believed these things, but he believed he had power to save. 
said, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. I've said it before, but I'm going to reiterate it. The problem today, and the reason we have so many people have professions of faith, but do not know the Savior, is because they believe that salvation is putting their academic faith in a historical event that took place. They, they believe that, well, if I trust that He died for my sins, that that's what salvation is. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, what's the difference? You don't call on a dead man's name. It's not that you're believing that what he did is going to save you. It's that you believe that what he's doing, what he has done, what he will do, not what took place is going to save you, but what he does when you call on his name. That's what saves you. Not that you're believing in the historical event of the crucifixion or even in the historical event of the resurrection. Now, both those things are necessary. The salvation is putting your faith in a living Savior to forgive you of your sins and wash you and to save you. So I've never done that. Then you're not saved. You say, but people think I'm saved. Well, God don't think it. You say, but I'm part of a church. Well, that's great. I hope they'll let you rejoin after you get saved and baptized. Because you're not saved unless you put your faith in Christ to forgive you and to save you of your sins. He was persuaded that Christ could save him. He was persuaded. I want you to notice not only the condition of Bartimaeus and the cry of Bartimaeus, but notice the conversion of Bartimaeus. I want you to notice that he had the attention of the Savior. He cried out, cried out. He said, Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. Boy, I like this phrase. I like this phrase. Jesus stood still. I don't know if you realize the implication of that. Jesus... The Son of God was headed somewhere. But when the lost sinner cried out, he stopped to listen. That's power right there. And let me say, I know the Bible teaches that God is not willing that any should perish. And I believe that with my whole heart. I believe the heartbeat of God is the salvation of sinners. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's not so. But I'm saying the Savior had a divine will. If you're going somewhere, you want to go there. Is that right? I mean, I know that's a little cloudy, but you know what I mean? If I'm standing here and if I walk over there, it's because I want to do that. I've got a will to do that. You understand what I'm saying? I'm wanting to walk over here. And we see that the cry of the sinner for salvation paused the divine will of the Savior. Caused him to stop and to take notice. That's, that's the attention that Christ gives the sinner. Say, so how can I be saved today? Recognize your need of salvation. Recognize your need of it, that you're a lost sinner. That you can't save yourself. That nobody can save you but Christ. Turn from self-dependence. Turn from yourself. Call on the name of Jesus Christ. Ask Him to forgive you and save you of your sins. And you know what He does? He stands still that he might save the sinner. We see the attention. Uh, we, we see earlier on in the passage, you know what he did? He cried out, he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says, but many began to rebuke him, try to silence him. Let me say that, that you know what happens to most people? God begins to deal with them. And they begin to feel their need of a Savior. But the flesh comes in and says, just hush. And they say, okay. I'll tell you when a man gets saved... Now, you hear me out. A man gets saved when he gets right down determined about getting saved. You hear me? I'm not talking about works now. 
I'm saying that as long as salvation is a take it or leave it thing with you, you're never going to get saved. You're never going to get saved. Until you come to the place that you'll shout your flesh down and say, no, I need the Savior. You know what the devil will do when God begins to convict you? The devil will come up beside you and say, what are people going to think about you if you go down to that altar? You made a profession of faith. You've been in this church for years. You, you've worked. You've served. You've taught a Sunday school class. You've, you've worked on a van ride. You, you've done all this. What are people going to think? And you know what you have to do when he begins to do that? You have to say, hush, I need the Savior. You may even have people in your life that you know if you go down and get saved and call on the Savior, they're going to sit there and kind of look at you cross-eyed. Well, I thought she is already saved. God help us. When we act that way towards a sinner coming to know the Savior, it would be better for God to strike us dead than for us to go through this world discouraging sinners from the Savior. You just keep that critical spirit to yourself. God will have less to judge you for if you do. There's people that might do. You know what you have to do? You have to say, I ain't going to hell for nobody. You hear me? I ain't going to hell for nobody. Nobody. I'm going to get it settled. I'm going to get it took care of. I'm not going to hell for you. I'm not going to hell for my family. I'm not going to hell for my friends. I'm not going to hell for my co-workers. I don't care what they do say. I need the Savior. When you get downright persistent about it, that's when you get saved. And you say, well, what if I just come to the Lord one time and ask Him to forgive me? And He'll say, yeah, He'll save you. But I found that the opposition is usually a little stronger than that most of the time, haven't you? You ever notice when, when the invitation time comes, all of a sudden people's cell phones start to light up? You ever notice that? You ever notice people can sit there and watch a three-hour movie without having to go to the bathroom? Whenever the invitation time comes up, they just got to go, got to go, got to go right now. You ever notice that? The opposition begins to flare up. That's the flesh, that's the devil, that's the world. Saying, just hush, you don't need the Savior. The Bible says, but he cried out the more. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he gained the attention of the Savior. But I want you to notice not only the attention of the Savior, notice the inquisition of the Savior. What wilt thou have me to do? I think that's good, don't you? I think that's important. What would you come here for? When I deal with little kids about salvation, I, I ask them that. By the way, you know, I, I could tell, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. This is an encouragement and an exhortation to our workers that deal with kids. I could, I could take the whole children's church group down there at Victor Ash Park, and I could take them and I could sit them down, and I could nod them through and walk them through a salvation prayer, and we'd have eight or ten saved this morning just like that. And it wouldn't mean a thing. You can walk anybody through a prayer. That don't mean anything. I've seen it done before. I've seen people dealing with little kids. You know what they do? I'll sit there they go, you don't want to die and go to hell, do you? You want to be saved, don't you? How dumb. I, I mean, listen, a newborn calf would know how to respond to that. I could do that. Wouldn't do any good. So I ask them, when they come to an altar in VBS and camp, I'll ask them, I'll say, what would you come here for? And if they look at me and they go, Hoo. I go, go sit back down then. But sometimes they'll come to you and you'll say, what will thou have me to do? What, what are you here for? They'll say, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. He said, what wilt thou have me to do? The Savior said, what do you want? What would you come here for? And I'll tell you, a lot of people don't get saved because they never come to the Lord for that. They're lost and undone. They've never come to know the Savior. And you know what they do? They come and they say, Lord, bless my home. Won't be blessed till you know the Savior. Lord, help me to get a new job. That new job won't make you happy. You need the Savior. He says, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, 
that I may receive my sight. Open my eyes. You know what he did? He didn't say, well, I just want to be more religious. Come on now. He didn't say, I just want to be more religious. Boy, I, I love not be sitting by the highway side begging. You know, that'd be nice. He said, Lord, I'm blind and I need my sight. Blind and I need my sight. Let me tell you, the sinner, if he's really under conviction when he comes to the Lord, he, he doesn't come and say, save my kids. He doesn't come and say, help my home. He doesn't come and say, help my problems, help my troubles. He says, Lord, open my eyes, save me, God. That's what I need. He got saved because whenever the time came, that's what he asked for. That's what he asked for. That's why he was there. A lot of people never get saved because they never have any desire to be saved. They don't want to be saved. They want all their problems to go away, but they don't want a Savior. I've said it before. Most people want a Savior that can get them out of jail, out of debt, out of problems, out of troubles, but they're not interested in a Savior. They'll get them out of their sin and get them out of hell. That's what it's going to take. We see the declaration of the Savior. He said, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. He said, Because you believed me, because you trusted me, because you asked believing, you were made whole. Now, we know the story goes that that man was made whole of his eyesight. But oh, isn't it a picture of the lost sinner that comes to know Christ and is made whole by the grace of God. You may be here today and you may say, I really don't know. Well, come down and get it figured out. Let, let people take a Bible. That's a hymn book. I ain't going to save nobody, Ralph. <laughs> I went to grab that hymn book. Get a Bible. Let somebody take a Bible and show you. Show you how you can be saved. You say, why is that important? Because then you'll know. Then when the devil slithers on alongside of you and says, you ain't really saved, you take that Bible opened up and say, yes, I am. He promised me. He told me. He told me. You can have it settled today. Or you can walk out the double doors. It's your choice. Nobody's going to make you do anything. Nobody's going to look at you funny. Nobody's going to not shake your hand. But I'm telling you today, eternity is really not something to gamble with, neighbor. It's not something to gamble with. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. Heavenly Father, I, I need your help. We need your presence. We need your power. I appreciate, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit already this morning. And I pray, God, that you just continue to convict hearts. Lord, my heart's desire is that there's, if there's any here that's lost, that they not listen to the flesh, not listen to the world, not listen to the, to the pressures of sin and of the devil. But, God, that they would just give in, give it over, wave the white flag, God. Ask for your forgiveness. I love you, Lord. I pray that you bless this invitation in Christ's name. Amen. With every